What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Let's, let's begin with the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> We're getting towards the end. We've only got a few left here, a few articles of the creed. And uh, not only do I want us to note what is in the creed, but I want us to note the structure of it, how it is laid out, because this is important. We live in a time both, um, well, I guess globally, too, it's it's kind of a thing, but... Um, even in the West, we live at a time where um, individuality and uh, independence, not, well, independence in the sense of like, I'm independent of, of everyone else, is a virtue. Not that it's not a virtue, but it's a very high virtue. I was reading some people having a conversation about something just yesterday, and rather than have a debate on it, one person had said, well, for all people who think that uh, blah, blah, blah is wrong, you can just mind your own business. Well, it's, that's not a debate, right? And it's, and it's, well, if I'm not hurting you and you're not the one having it happen to you and it's not hurting anybody, then by default, it becomes right, right, in our society, right? If I want to do it, if I like to do it, um, then it's right to do. And that's the bottom line. In our society, you can't talk about it. We can't talk about how it'll affect other people. We can't talk about whether or not God approves of it. It's just if I feel it and I desire it because I'm independent of you, I'm the highest authority. My own well-being and good is the is the most important. This thing must be right, and that's how um, that's how we think. Now, one of the problems that we have there is that 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 has crept into the church, and you all have met. I'm sure all of you have met somebody who has said something along the lines. Uh, when you've invited them to church or to come back to church after they've been gone. All of us have met that person who has said to us, uh, well, you know, you don't need the church to worship God. I could just go walk in the woods and worship God. Uh, No. It's not the way that it was ordained. Uh, It's not the way that it was designed. That's not the way that God operates. Um, There's also a kick amongst Christians that are, uh, I don't know if they're overcompensating for the fact that they don't think that people like us enough, but they've gone real floofy. Um, I saw a guy last night. I don't know. It's like a, trying to phrase it without explaining the whole thing. There was a guy who's a pastor and somebody said, you know, is it true that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And he was trying to overcompensate for the fact that that sounds exclusive. And he was like, what you're probably thinking of is when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, and um, no, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. What he was saying was, my way is the right way. And he's like, and if, you, if, you, if you're a Buddhist and you find the way, that's the way. And if you're a Christian, you find the way. And I was like, no, that's not what he mean, that meant. And like, I'm, how did you pass first year seminary? Because that's, that's not what the text even reads. But it's like this overcompensation to make people feel really comfortable and the, the, the comfort is found in the church itself. 
And so we're, get, we're talking today about the forgiveness of sins, which it seems odd because we've had such a long conversation about the things that Jesus did and his death, his burial, his resurrection. Somebody stole the, the marker that I had already stolen. It's a <laughs> twice stolen marker. It's, it's Angelina. It's Angelina. I do. <laughs> well, we'll see after today. All right. So this is what I want to. I wanted to show you why the the, the structure itself here of uh, why the creed was uh, written the way it was. All right. So so we begin at the top. I can't do anything right today. When we start the creed, it starts like this. It starts with uh, God the Father. Okay, and he's the creator. All right. And then we see the creed move over into uh, God the Son. Now, when we talk about uh, the, the Son, so we're not talking about like everything is, is less important than the last one. That's not what this is. This is more of a, a process chart, a flow chart of what's happening. So we have God the Father creates. We know that, that man through sin has corrupted it. And so the Son uh, is coming to redeem mankind and restore mankind. And then we see the creed move over into the Holy Spirit. Um, and so now this is obviously the Trinity. So we have the Father, then we have the Son, then we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in, the, in the, both the Old Testament and New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit moves on something that is chaotic or dead and, and gives it life, right? So it, it, in Genesis, the Holy Spirit moves over the face of the waters, and that's when this cold, dead rock comes to life. Okay, uh, we see um, uh, Adam uh, uh, go into his uh, slumber, and the Holy Spirit moves, and we see Eve created. We see in the uh, the New Testament uh, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit again hovers over Jesus, and and he covers the face of the waters, and there's a new creation. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and gives life to the church, and there you see the the the, the birth of the church. Um, <laughs> so we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, after this is all done, and Christ has earned for us the gift of the Spirit, Joel tells us the Spirit is poured out over all flesh, and out of this is born the church. Okay? So now we have the church. Um, and this is, you don't have the church without this happening. Does that make sense? So this, it, the Father creates and the Son is coming to redeem. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is coming to give us life. And what he does is gives life to the church. Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so what, what you have when you have church, you do not have a, a, an independent organization that's just over here that's talking about God. Understand that. When you have the church, you're having that which is birthed directly out of God, okay? So the church is, is not simply an organization that points back or worships God or points back or worships to Jesus, but the church is born of the Trinity itself. The church is uh, the institution that the, the Son has promised perpetuity to. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the one that the Son, as we're going to learn today, is authorized to forgive sins, uh, the church is the one that has the Holy Spirit in it. So if you're going to go to a place where God exists, it's the church. Now, not we don't necessarily mean the structure in the building, but when we do meet together as the church, we are we are making a place what we would call sanctified or set apart, and it is that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Pastor Andrew was talking about this with the means of grace. So if I was to go to 
uh, if I was to go and, and just show up at Tom's house with bread and wine, and I would sit down at the table with him, and I would say, Tom, this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ, and I gave it to him, and he ate it, and he drank it, doesn't mean anything. The Holy Spirit is not in that, because that's not the church. Now, if Pastor Andrew here, in the midst of all of us called together, and all of us having known that we were going to have communion, Lord's Supper, uh, uh, he takes the body and the blood, and he says, this is the body of Christ, take it, eat it, this is the blood of Christ, take it, and eat it, and you and I, desiring to have that, take it, the Holy Spirit's actually in that. The Holy Spirit is actually doing work there, yeah. But doesn't it say, like, if two or three are gathered in my presence? Yes, that's true, and that's when Jesus is saying that's when any 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 two believers, and this is like why we pray, because when we when when two agree on something, he says, if any two of you touching anything will pray, I will do it. So what he's saying there is yes, when it is impossible to have church alone, it's necessary for church to be community; otherwise, it's not church. And so when there are two people there, the nature of what happens is there's life that springs out of it, right? When you have a marriage, you have a husband and a wife, what's the thing that springs out of it? Children spring out of it, right? And so when you have the church, when two or three are gathered together, the natural thing that comes out of this is life springs out, right? And so that's why Jesus says it's two or three of you gathered together. He's not necessarily talking about like a minimum quota to have a church. Okay, so it isn't like you can have, because I mean like, you hear people like on a deathbed, they want one more communion. So, that, so in a sense, if someone comes out to do that, that wouldn't... No, that's... So when people have that, that is... Um, consider that a little bit like the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's done because it's necessary and there's no other way. And, uh, um, the church has long had, you know, shut-ins or invalids have been given, have been brought communion with the understanding that we also have communion and we're not excluding you. But we couldn't have a cool people only's meeting where I bought, brought bread and wine and was like, well, I only invited the cool people and this is communion. The Holy Spirit's just not in that. There's no validity to it. I could say this is, this is the body of Christ all day long and nothing's there. It's, it's pointless because it's an exclusion. And this is what Paul was complaining about to the Corinthians. He's like, you guys are coming together to eat and drink. Half of you are too poor because you don't have any food. And the other half of you are so rich that you came early and brought all your wine and you're drunk. Is this not the communion? Is this not the body and the blood of Christ that we're supposed to be having? So knock it off. If you're hungry, eat at home and then come together with everybody. James backs this up too. And he's like, well, you have church and you have these special seats and the rich people walk in and you're like, oh, here you go. Remember last week, Pastor Andrew was talking and he said he had a, someone running for a senator one time came and he's like, I'll never do that again. This is what James is talking about. You know, you're a nobody. And a guy walks in, a little flashy, running for office, and we're like, oh, oh, sir, would you like to have a special seat? James is like, don't do that. Find the poorest person in the room and give them the special seat. Tell the senator to sit in the back. That's James's philosophy. So um, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about when we say the church. It's, 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 it's us together doing it. Okay? So when, now that we have the church, we move on. And we saw last week, so we saw, uh, we believe in the, the Holy Spirit. We said the Holy Catholic Church. If you weren't there for that, it's online. You could explain why I said that. So now we have this church here. And then what we said was we have the communion of saints. And then we have the today, which is the forgiveness of sins. Now, forgive this writing, but we'll just deal with it for now. Uh, And then we are going to see the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. 
it's written in such a way that it's 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 like each thing is the umbrella of the next thing. All right. So God is the creator. The son has come to redeem us. The Bible tells us that Christ in completing his work has received the gift of the spirit for all of us on our behalf. This Holy Spirit births the church. The the church then because it is the body of Christ. Remember this. We said this the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of Christ. And the church is the temple itself that God is building in the world. That, that's us. And so in every way, this body here has a very special place in the world that is um, a, a branch of these things. So I don't know if uh, we, we have a, uh, a golden retriever. Um, I've never had a dog that had a, what is it called, AKC? Certification is that what it is? I never had oh, one like of those. A pedigree? Yeah, pedigree. Never had one of those before. Real fancy. <laughs> With this dog comes this certification, this AKC certification that this is a real purebred golden retriever, and its mom and dad were real purebred golden retrievers, and there was <coughs> some sort of pedigree that goes back to whatever. I don't know what it is, but it's official, right? And the officialness of it in this situation uh, lends itself to it being a lot more money. I didn't realize that. Um, so <laughs> if you go and buy a mutt or you find a mutt, it doesn't have an AKC certification. So it, I mean, if it had a puppy, it had a puppy and whatever. It doesn't mean anything. But see, my dog, I could pull out an AKC certification and somebody could be like, oh, you know, well, not anymore because <coughs> he's had a surgery. But I could pull out this AKC certification and be like, this is the real deal here, Right. Uh, so it is, in a very crude way, so it is the church, right? It's the difference between somebody pulling up behind you and flashing their lights and telling you to pull over and, and a police officer pulling up behind you and flashing his lights and telling you to pull over. One of those, you say, dude, get off my tail. And the other one, you pull over, right? Because one of them has the authority to do such a thing. Um, that's what the church is. So under this umbrella of the Father, this is what we were saying. Take note of the order of the creed. The, the one true God has created us. The Son of God through his death and resurrection, resurrection is restoring creation. That's what Christ came to do. The Spirit is giving life to the people of God known as the church. The church is in communion with one another, with God, and it shares in the gifts and the graces of the Spirit. That's what I was saying before. Um, the Spirit has given to the church the graces to grow and strengthen us. So remember... We don't come just for like a mental exercise. Like the sermon is not just like, oh, that made me feel good or that gave me some information. The, the, the reading of the scriptures and the sermons and such, the things that we do, the baptisms and the communions and, and even us praying together, this is a shared grace that the Holy Spirit gives and he only gives it to the church, right? This is why we said we were talking about the, the holy Catholic. That word Catholic means part of the whole. You, you can't go to church and take communion and have the church pray for you and then read the scriptures and then go somewhere else and get more strength than what you just got from the church. Those are actual graces of God that he gives through the church to strengthen you, to build your faith, to grow you in faith, hope, and charity. Okay. And so what, what, what we're seeing more and more is the church is being considered um, uh, just a, 
uh, well, a lot of places being considered hate speech, but the church is being considered, you know, more self-help. A lot of more modern churches are very self-help oriented, very emotion oriented. And then what we're seeing is people going other places to get their spiritual, mental and physical help. And, and what the scripture is trying to say is when you have a real church, when you have that, that, that's where God is operating. And we're sharing with one another the gifts of the spirit. And then what we see here is the forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if you remember when he sent them out, he said, I'm sending you out. And he said, whoever's sins you remit are remitted. And whoever sins you don't remit are not remitted. Once again, the point of this is to say to everybody, come here together into the church. This is why when they built churches uh, back uh, in the day, they built them with steeples and, and, and the, the bells on them, boom, boom, right? So on Sunday morning, when it would, when it would be morning time, they would go out and they would ring these bells and it was a call saying, everybody come here because we have been authorized to forgive you, to give you God's grace and to send you back into the world, right? And so what you and I do is we come into the church, we come here and... This is what's amazing. If you remember when Jesus is healing, Jesus is in that room and the guy is brought to him and Jesus says, son, your sins be forgiven you. And remember, I mean, the Pharisees were just like, and the scribes and whoever else was there, they were like, I can't believe you would say that only God can forgive sins. Why would you say something like this? And Jesus is like, watch this. He goes, what's easier to say? That you're forgiven of your sins or saying rise and pick up your bed and walk. Obviously, it's a rhetorical question, but it's easier to say forgiveness of sins, right? It's easier. I could walk up to you and be like, yeah, you're forgiven, right? You want to see a real trick, tell him to get off the floor and stand up and walk. And so Jesus says, so that you know, I have the power to do the easier thing, which is to say your sins are forgiven. And he says, he turns and looks at the man, he says, rise, pick up your bed and walk. And this guy gets up, rises, picks up his bed and walks. So the implication there is if Jesus could tell a lame man to walk, then Jesus has the authority to say your sins are forgiven. Um, And then he turns to the church and he says to the church, you have the same authority to do so. So someone from the world comes in and someone walks up and, and is in the service and Pastor Andrew says, let's have a time of prayer. They walk up to Pastor Andrew and they say, I, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm convicted in my heart. I want to believe and I want to follow. According to Jesus, we as the church, and Pastor Andrew being the, the bishop of this area, can look at that person and say, you're forgiven of your sins and have the authority to say so, and it means something. When the church stands up, when Pastor Andrew stands up and, and reads or preaches, when, when the musicians sing and they say our sins are forgiven, when Pastor Andrew says, Jesus forgives you of all your sins, this is not, um, this is not us talking about something that we hope to be true or that we read somewhere that's true, right? It's not that he's just reading in the scripture and says, well, according to this book, you know, Jesus says, if you confess, he'll forgive you. The church has the authority to look you in the eyes and say, you're forgiven. And because the church has said it, you're forgiven. Now, just get that. You might, you say, that seems like a very, that seems like semantics, right? But it's not. It's, it's that it's, it's, it takes the words off of the page and puts them into the reality here. But it also says to you and I, don't go off into your quiet private places and separate from the body because where the body is is where the power is. The two or three are gathered together. If, if you can go in your closet and pray to your father, which is in secret, and have power there, how much more when the entire church gathers together 
and prays together and asks for something. Which is why it's, it's important for us to have these, you know, the time where we say, what prayer requests do we have? Uh, and not pass over them quickly in our mind. I know it's very easy to do that, right? Just, okay, oh, so-and-so, okay, okay, God, pass over. But to really think, okay, honestly, when we bow, let's pray. And for every request that's been made, let's all make that same request up to the Father at the same time. Because according to the scriptures, when those two or three or four or 10 or 15 or 20 are gathered together and they do that, it has real power. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, A, let's be righteous. The church has the power to forgive us. Okay, now we're righteous. Here we go. Now let's ask the Father for these things and ask and believe. James says to us that there's, there's two reasons why we, we don't have the things we ask for. Number one, you have not because you didn't ask for it. Like you honestly, literally just never said, God, I want this and need it. And the second reason we ask is because we ask amiss because we want to consume something on our lust right? This is our friend at work that's like, oh man, I played the scratchers today. And I said, oh God, if you just let me win this, I'll give half to the church. God doesn't operate like that. You're asking amiss that you can consume something on your own lust. So this is not the will of God. God doesn't have anything there. But when we ask for something that is, that is God's will, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? If your son asks for a fish, will you give him a scorpion? If he asks for bread, will you give him a stone? No. So much more will our Father give to us the things that we ask for. And so that is what we have when we have the church is, is saying to us that it has forgiveness. That, that's why it's all the way down here instead of up here. Well, why did we talk all about Jesus and then we get all the way down to the creed and talk about forgiveness? Because I want you to see this as like an umbrella. The creator has given us his son and the son has given us the spirit. The spirit has birthed out the church and the church has brought us together into this AKC certified, if you will, uh, <laughs> status where we share in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and we then through these shared gifts, can see the forgiveness of sins, and then we'll talk about next week the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Um, let me read to you uh, Ephesians. I just want to see, I want you to see how Paul phrases this when he talks about the forgiveness of sins. And because forgiveness of sins is not past tense only. A lot of times I think we're just like, well, long, long, long time ago, my sins were forgiven. Um, yes, but also, if you recall, uh, on Thursday before Jesus dies, he is with the disciples and he goes to wash their feet as their servant. And Peter says to him, don't wash my feet because Peter is, um, well, Peter's a hothead, right? And so Peter's like, Lord, don't wash my feet. That's, that's crazy. And Jesus says, uh, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And Peter's like, whoa, never mind. Wash my head, my hands, my feet, wash the whole thing. And Jesus is like, slow down, Peter. You're such an extremist. He says, you are clean, but parts of you get unclean. That's, the, that's what we have in this world. The warning that you see oftentimes in Scripture, especially if you read the book of Hebrews, is a warning against the slow dirtying of our feet to getting to the point where slowly over time it's getting more calloused and more hardened and more disbelief and more uh, pushing away from, uh, less clinging to, and faith begins to... To, to trickle out and then you see what, what we see like in the book of 1 John where people begin walking away. The heart has become so hardened. The best way for the heart not to become hardened is for us to continually have our feet washed by coming into the church, confessing our sins, receiving the forgiveness that the, that the church gives to us through Christ and having that cleansed away. Reading the scriptures. I've been reading the scriptures this past week and just something 
came out and it was the, the, the script Jesus was talking about, um, if any man has something against you and you're bringing your gift to the altar, leave it, go fix that thing and then come back. For this reason, sometimes your prayers are hindered. Um, and just as I was sitting there, God was like, you need to send a text over to this person because you know it's been a very long time and you two are like this right now. And I was like, oh, but it's mostly his fault. <laughs> mostly. It's mostly, right? And the Lord was like, I said, if anyone else has a problem with you, you go fix it. And I was like, okay. So that was something that I had to stop, get my feet washed. I still haven't done it yet, by the way. Uh, so I still haven't obeyed yet. But I have to get, all right. Everybody, everybody's like, come on, come on, Jeremy. I did. No, you're right. I didn't, answer, I didn't do it yet. So I have to get my feet washed on that, right? So before I get too crazy about, Lord, I need this done for me, I've got some forgiveness that needs to come to me, right? That he will grant. He's not holding it back for me. And I have some obedience that I need to do. As I told you before, humility and obedience, what happens? The spirit comes and fruit starts happening again. And so that's something that I need to do. And so you and I should be careful not to always just look at that one point in time in the past where our sins were forgiven, but recall that although we're washed, um, we're getting dirty along the way. And if we don't watch it, we'll get hardened. I say this all the time to the people who are the, the busy people at church, right? The busy ones who always have 15 things to do and they've got to do this and take care of this. The busiest people at church will be the first ones that stop paying attention to what's happening in the church, right? Because I've got to get X done before the service and then I always leave right when the pastor bows his head to pray because I've got to make sure that X is done and I've got to, and, and it's, you're doing great, wonderful things, but we're the ones because we're doing that all the time. I'm walking around for half the service. See, <laughs> but my point is this now, the rest of us will have a few more minutes to contemplate what I'm saying and go on, but he won't now. I'm, he's not, he's not sinning. He wasn't paying attention. To he wasn't. <laughs> it's not just you. It's just him. <laughs> Do you see my point though? And in this is where we tend to get hardened. We never get our feet washed. And then three, six, 12 months down the road, why do we have this one thing that's so hard in our heart? Because we're never letting the Holy Spirit cleanse and wash us and, 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 and that. Um, it, it, let me just read these two. We just have a few minutes, but Ephesians. So uh, the forgiveness of sins is something that we collectively have together that is graced to the church to authorize to say it. So when you hear something like, and people who doubt their faith need this, when you hear something like uh, someone in the church, whether they're reading the scripture or the pastor looking you in the eyes or during a sermon and say, your sins are forgiven, that is not, they are not talking secondhand. They are by the authority of Christ saying your sins are forgiven and because it's said, it's true. Um, and so there's that point I want you to get. And the second point uh, is that it's, it's something that needs to be frequent and together and often continually have our sins forgiven and our feet washed because when our, when our sins are forgiven, we're restored back to that fellowship and then we can have the Holy Spirit begin to, to make fruit in, in our lives. So Ephesians chapter four, I began to read uh, uh, in a previous week, but let me go to verse uh, 